Welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Bikes and Big Ideas is presented by CBG Trails. The CBG Trails app is the only complete trail map app of Crested Butte and the Gunnison Valley, Colorado. So download the app today and start exploring. Paul Basagodia was the first back-to-back winner of Crankwork Slope Style. He participated in Red Bull Rampage numerous times, and he was without question one of the top riders in the game. But one tiny little wobble on his run at the 2015 Red Bull Rampage led to a crash that left him paralyzed and Paul's life was changed in an instant. So I talked to Paul about his ascension in the sport, the events surrounding his accident, his road to recovery, how he views Rampage today, and we talk about his brand new film, Any One of Us, that chronicles it all and provides a very unfiltered look at life after a spinal cord injury. Any One of Us aired yesterday on HBO, and I spoke to Paul just before he was heading to the premiere of the film in LA, and right after he had gotten back from attending Red Bull Rampage this past weekend, so it was a very interesting time to get Paul's very fresh thoughts about that event. And so, here it is, my conversation with Paul Basagodia. Well, Paul, how are you today, and where are you today? Today I'm doing great. You know, life is good. Um, I'm currently in LA for uh, for the first pr- big premiere that we're doing for any one of us. So we are having a premiere tonight at seven o'clock tonight, which I'm super excited. It'll be the first time that a lot of my friends will be seeing this film in family. So I'm a little nervous, but thing same time I'm very excited. As somebody who I have had the chance to watch this film, I think it's quite a film. And so uh, I don't think you have any reason to be nervous. Let me just say that. I mean, yes and no. I mean, so you've seen the film, so you've seen that I pretty much exposed myself to the fullest behind closed doors, all the struggles I was going through. So I'm a little nervous with those scenes, but at the same time, I'm very glad those scenes are in there because here I am trying to tell a story about spinal cord injuries and and if I wasn't honest about what actually goes into this injury, then we would never go anywhere as far as finding a cure or like bringing awareness or attention to this injury. Let's back this up for a second. When somebody asks you, what's the film about? Do you have this down to kind of your answer to that question? I kind of just say what goes into spinal cord injuries. <laughs> you know, I never really say it's my documentary because it's, it's not. It's, it's about the 300,000 people that are sustaining spinal cord injuries every year. It's about their stories as well. You know, like I'm the person telling the story that everybody that has a spinal cord injury and what goes into it. And, you know, I just kind of say, you know, it's, it's, it's a film about spinal cord injuries and about overcoming adversity. That was one of the things that when I watched the film, I actually didn't know coming into it. I thought this was just your story. And we are going to be talking about your story here in this conversation because it's a hell of a story. But like you just said, I mean, this isn't just your story. The film does go and talk to a number of folks of all different walks of life who were all injured in just some of the craziest imaginable ways. And it's just this entire spectrum. And so 
How did you guys come to make that decision? Because I think a film that only focused on you would have been a very successful film. How did you guys make the decision to make this a broader film for like a whole community? Yeah, so that was all about um, the producer and director coming in to finding the other cast members that are living in spinal cord injuries. We thought it would be a really good idea to have other people involved with this uh, film just because it is very easy to sustain a spinal cord injury. You know, like for me, a lot of people were probably like, well, of course, Paul was bound to have a spinal cord injury. Like he does backflips off cliffs, he rides mountain bikes, all this. But the number one cause of spinal cord injuries is actually car accidents. So we wanted to tell the story as far as like, man, this could literally, this injury could literally happen to any one of us. And we wanted to showcase other people in the film that sustain spinal cord injuries that maybe are not necessarily into action sports, you know, just your average, you know, Joe's that, you know, sustain spinal cord injuries, whether it's from car accidents or from uh, scaffolding or having the uh, wrong uh, fluid in the epidural shot, like, this injuries can really happen to any one of us. You don't have to do something very extreme to, to sustain one. So we wanted to, to really tell that story. Let's talk about your own story. I still kind of locate like when you really punched onto the scene in a big, big way. Are we going to say Crankworks 2004? Yeah. Um, yeah, I get goosebumps thinking about that day. Cause I, I it was probably one of the best days of my life. Uh, in 2004, I uh, entered this event called the Crankworks. And if you're not familiar with Crankworks, it's essentially it's our Super Bowl for mountain biking. It's the biggest event that happens. And uh, I showed up to that event with a borrowed bike, no sponsors whatsoever, and ended up winning the whole event. <laughs> By the way, whose bike did you borrow? I ended up borrowing a good buddy of mine's uh, bike, uh, Cameron Zink. He's actually in the film as well. And, uh, it was so funny how this, this how this all came about. I remember two weeks before the for the before the event happened, uh, Cameron uh, reached out to me and goes, "Hey, would you want to come up to Whistler, BC, to enter this mountain bike event?" And uh, I was like, "Man, how am I going to get to Whistler? Like, I have no money whatsoever. Like, what's this mountain bike stuff all about?" Because I was super uneducated when it came to mountain biking. I didn't even know like anything about the the bikes or the courses or anything. And uh, he literally talked me into going. And next thing you know, I caught a flight up to Whistler and uh, showed up to Whistler. And he's like, here, here's your bike for the weekend. And uh, it was so funny because the bike definitely wasn't the bike you'd be riding for that event. But it was the only bike I had at the time. It was uh, a hardtail single brake. And uh, with with a course like that, like you would want a full suspension bike, two brakes. And uh, I had half a bike essentially. <laughs> How many practice runs did you get on this thing? A, a couple, a couple days. So it was, it was like a three day event. So like, you know, usually when you do these big events, you have two days of practice and then, um, the third day would be the finals or qualifiers. So going into qualifiers and finals, I mean, did you actually feel pretty good on this bike? Did you get used to it pretty quick? Or are you like, dude, this is crazy. I mean, a little bit, like I, I obviously I, I felt like I could have done better, like on the bike, or I could have felt like I could have definitely had more time on it. But at the time I felt pretty good for what I was working with. Um, I was so focused on my riding that I wasn't like really like uh, comparing myself to the others. So I was like, I'm just going to go and just do my own thing. And, uh, and see what happens. Let's back it up. I mean, like you said, Cam is, you know, well, he's a huge part of your story. And so he's a big part of this film. When did you guys first meet? 
Yeah, so Zink and I, uh, we became friends um, about when we were 15 years old. He was about a year older than me, so he would always drive uh, down to my local town, pick me up, and then we would go and ride uh, the local skate park. So we became really good friends around uh, when we were 15 years old. And at the time, I was uh, riding BMX and he was riding mountain bikes. So I would just, uh, we would just literally just go ride um, the local skate parks, the local dirt jumps. But he was, he would be on a mountain bike and I would be on a BMX bike. And uh, I would never thought I was ever going to like do that transition into mountain biking just because uh, I just didn't think it was possible to do like the tail whips and like all the technical tricks that you can on a BMX that you could on a mountain bike. And yet, you figured it out. I figured it out. All it took was uh, some convincing for me to go to Crankworks with his bike. And, uh, you know, he's like, hey, come to Crankworks. And uh, the first thing I was like, I wonder if I can tell if this bike, if I can tell if this bike, then I'm going to, I'll go to Crankworks, right? I think after like two days riding the mountain bike uh, at our local skate park, I was able to do tail ups. And I was like, okay, I think I feel, I think I, I think I feel comfortable now to go to crank work or go to this event that is assuming it was crank works. I had no idea. And, uh, and entered this slope style contest. And it's pretty funny. If you look at slope style, um, courses back in 2004, it was pretty, um, gnarly slash janky. Like we would have teeter totters, like wood ramps, like the transitions were always like kind of screwed up big boulders in the slope style course. Like it wasn't definitely like groomed or anything. So it was uh, pretty funny to like, think that, I was ready to compete at Crankworks when literally I wasn't. <laughs> yeah. On paper, I shouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> but you won the damn thing. Ended up winning the event. Um, super surprised that I did. Um, just because, like I said, I didn't know how big the event was until literally the next morning when my phone blew up and I basically became a factory rider right after that event. What's that next year look like? between your winning and then we'll get to you being back at Crankworks in 2005. But talk to me about that year. So yeah, 2005, um, you know, I, I was still in high school. I was a senior in high school, but uh, at the same time I had a factory ride. So I was very surprised I actually graduated high school because I was so focused on mountain biking. I had so many obligations to do these events overseas. So I was missing school all the time. And there, there was, there was a, there was a part of me that wanted to kind of like drop out of high school. Cause I was like, I got my career set. This is it. Like, I don't want, I don't need school. Right. I'm 16 years or 17 years old. I'm like, I don't need to, I don't need to do this. I'm making, I'm making a money. I'm making a paycheck right now. I'm arguably probably making more money than my teachers. Like, but, uh, you know, I, I stayed in school. I did all the events. And, um, when, when school was out, I was like, I'm not going to go to college. I'm going to focus 100% on mountain biking. And literally a couple of weeks after graduation, I went to Crankworks again in 2005. But this time it was a little bit different. I had a factory ride. I had, had uh, basically full support from, from wheels to suspension to handlebars, like the whole complete setup. I had a place to stay. But at the same time, I had a lot of pressure because I had to deliver to all these sponsors to make sure I wasn't a fluke of 2004. And, uh, you know, like you can win that event once, but to win, to win it back to back is a whole different, whole different ball game. So then you repeat, you win it again. I don't know. Talk to me a bit about the next year or two after that, that repeat win at Crankworks. Yeah. After winning Crankworks the second time, um, 
It definitely, it, it maybe didn't give me the biggest impact as it did in 2004, but it definitely helped me as far as my legacy being the first person to win the Crankworks back to back. And I actually opened up a lot of opportunities as far as like working with big film uh, companies like Freerider Entertainment. And, um, you know, like it was, it was really cool to be invited to essentially every slope style contest around the world because of that. So um, maybe I didn't, maybe I didn't have like the crazy, like, holy crap impact in 2004, but still helped me definitely with uh, the, the upcoming years after winning Crankworks the second year. And at that point, you're just a big deal pro rider filming and riding. What kind of stands out for you? You know, let's say roughly for that next 10 years. Just what stands out is, man, I was able to, make a pretty good living riding a bike, you know, and traveling around the world, meeting all my friends, met my fiance through mountain biking. Like, it's so awesome that like what the bike has given me, like I was, you know, I traveled quite a far places and got to do some pretty rad things on the bike. And, uh, I think just being able to do that for such a long time is a huge blessing and definitely stands out. And then, um, we get to rampage. Let's start with the beginning. The first year you compete in Rampage is? I think it was 2008. It was the first year I competed in Rampage. And uh, I remember showing up, super stressed, because it was my first time ever competing at Rebel Rampage. And essentially, it was kind of the first time I ever rode that type of terrain, right? So uh, I definitely showed up on the wrong bike. I had a single crown fork and um, definitely did not feel comfortable whatsoever. But I ended up making the finals. And, uh, by doing that, I was like, this is awesome. Like stoked to make the finals. And I was just like, I'm going to continue doing this event every year. And hopefully one year I'll be able to win this event. Are you back at Red Bull Rampage every year after? Did you have some years off? Yeah. So, um, after 2008, I, I believe I competed again the following year. And then a couple years between that, I had some injuries and then, uh, 2014 they end up changing the venue and uh, i end up uh, going to that event got a i got a, a wild card to come in and i was so excited about that new venue because it was fresh it was a clean slate and you can kind of start from the beginning and uh, i remember um, walking the zone and finding this pretty cool unique line and uh, it was the only, i was the only person to go really far right um riders on the rider's ridge on the right hand side everybody was dropping on the left hand side so was, i knew right away i was like man if i can if i can somehow connect my line from all the way to this right side to the left like there, there'll be a good chance i can do really well in uh 2014 i ended up cracking uh a top 10 so i think i got ninth or eighth in 2014 which uh, automatically qualified me for 2015 so then 2015 and the 2015 comes along, and uh, I was like, I'm going to ride the same line, but this time I want to flip the canyon. I want to do this big double drop. I want to do a big Superman sea grab or a front flip off the last drop. Like, if I can link all that up, like, I'm going to win. Like, this is this is this line is so unique. It's so different than the others. Like, if I can piece all this together, like, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to win this event. Like, finally, from competing to Rampage in 2008. To, to now like this is this is the year that i'm gonna do it and i felt so confident so comfortable on my bike and uh i for sure thought that my line was gonna go smoothly and i would be 
on the top box. One of the things that everybody always talks about at Rampage is just the exposure and just dealing with that. And, you know, I've talked to Claudio Calori, and obviously Claudio knows his way around the bike a bit, but he's like, dude, it's a total head trip. Just the exposure. How, how did you, like, let's talk about coming into that 2015, you say, you know, in the film, you know, it's like, look, I feel better coming in at 2015 than ever before, but I, I don't know, man. I mean, I think anybody who watches this in person or just on TV, talk to me a bit about that aspect of this event. Yeah. Um, you know, that's the scary thing about riding that type of terrain in Utah is like, yeah, you can feel really confident and comfortable on it. But literally, if you get off your line within a foot or two feet, everything's so exposed. There's like the, the, the consequences of you actually getting offline is very dangerous. And, uh, you know, with, with me, with my accident, like if you watch the footage, I literally got off my line two feet and, and changed my life. You can, you can feel confident. You can feel comfortable riding that type of train. But if you do make a small mistake, you're going to pay the consequences. Of all the lines, all your practice runs, all the finals runs that you'd been in at Rampage, are you riding those lines with a mindset of like, stay on line, stay on line, stay on line? Or have you blocked that out and you're just thinking about the next, the next jump, the next lip, the next landing? Basically, you just, I mean, you just play one. I mean, for me, every time I dropped in, I would always worry about what what whatever the first obstacle is going to come in front of me so for me like when i dropped in all i was thinking about was flipping the candy gap okay i gotta flip that candy gap this is my first time flipping the candy gap so that was literally on my mind until i got to the candy gap and then when i flipped the candy gap i just thought about okay the next job okay i'm gonna 360 this one so make sure you get the 360 so basically what i do is i just um just visualize each jump that comes in front of me you know i don't think about the last jump until I'm at the very last obstacle, right? So I kind of play just uh, jump by jump, whatever comes first. And would you say that that's, if, as you've talked to other riders about this, do you think most of the riders, most of the folks are kind of in that same program, just one at a time, one at a time, don't worry about anything else? I believe so. You know, I mean, maybe, maybe there's some other riders that like kind of have it pretty easy up top but they have, they have that crazy big feature in the middle. Maybe they're just thinking about that big middle feature the whole time they drop in until that's over. So it kind of depends on your runs and your line as well. And you literally just got back from Rampage, right? I mean, you, you were here for this, I mean, this weekend. Yeah. So, yep. I was at Rampage uh, Friday, checking the event out. Um, I was there, of course, I was a spectator and, uh, it was overall, it, it was, uh, it was awesome to just see the event. Nobody got hurt. Um, personally for me to go back, it's still kind of tough, but at the same time, I'm happy to go back to watch all my friends ride. Let's talk about that. I'm obviously, we're, we're going to make our way back to 2015 and your injury. And it was an injury where, like you just said, it was a couple of feet, a foot or two offline. And there are consequences Talk to me about being back again at this venue. Are you, you know, talking to the riders or, or, you know, doing your own inspection of some of this stuff? Are you kind of like, man, the jumps look better, less janky than ever before? Or being up there, are you like, dude, it's still just insane? Talk to me about what you were seeing. 
I mean, like going back um, this year, I was looking at the course and it's definitely a lot safer now than it was in 2015. And it's, it's so awesome that the event is, you know, spread out over two weeks. Um, they have access to water to all the way to the top of the line. Uh, in 2015, we were basically carrying our water to the top. So to them to actually have access to water, like makes the, uh, building a lot safer and easier and to spread it out in like 14 days gives the rider plenty of time to actually get enough time on the bike and to ride their line. And back in 2015 and, and before that, it was, it, that wasn't the situation. And like in 2015, there was weather coming in. So in 2015, instead of pushing the event back due to weather, they did the opposite. They pushed it the day before knowing the fact that the next day there was some storm, there were storms coming in. That would never happen again. They would definitely wait it out until every single athlete is comfortable with the situation. The level of riding is real high right now at Rampage. And I'm kind of curious how you would sort of size up the percentages of this. Like part of the reason the level of riding is so high is the course is more dialed versus the event's been going on. There's more riders that are more familiar with terrain like this. How do you think about those two variables? I mean, yeah, it's, I think, I think it's, like I said, I think it's a lot safer this year. I think the riding is a lot more consistent. I remember watching the highlights of Rebel Rampage like 10 years ago and the highlight videos would be all crashes. Right. And uh, that, that was like, it's so funny. Like I remember back in those days, it's like, Oh, you do the Rebel Rampage. Like, so you crash down those hills. Like that was like the, that's what people thought big mountain biking was like people crashing down the hill. And if you watch the event, uh, this year's rebel rampage, like it was so consistent. Like I think almost everybody made it down their line other than like Zink and a couple other people, but like nobody got serious injured. And, uh, I think it was probably one of the most consistent, uh, rampages of, of all time. You didn't have a chance. I assume to watch the broadcast of this cause you were there, but I got to say watching it just on TV, there was a moment for me watching Tyler McCall drop in on his second run. I started getting real scared. It just seemed to me like, you know, he had some wind issues he was dealing with and he was trying to play the wind and see if he could, you know, catch it kind of between gusts and the rest. And, and it's just really weird. And I can't think of many other events out there where this happens, but I'm sitting on my couch getting real scared for him. And I'm started like, dude, I think he's overthinking this or the wind is significant enough. Like this does not feel good right now. And, you know, he had a great run, but I wonder if you ever are sitting there reading the riders or have been in that headspace yourself at the top of Rampage when you're like, dude, my head's not right right now. Um, I didn't really see it this weekend. Uh, so, you know, I did talk to a lot of the riders after the first runs. And like, for example, like I was talking to Kyle straight before he went up for a second run. He's like, man, like he's like, I'm like three points behind uh seven or eighth place. He's like, I want to move up the ladder, but I don't know what to do. He's like, I guess I could three six to the first drop. I guess I can flip this jump. I've never done this before, you know? So it's like to see that perspective of like, uh, is, is quite scary because it's like, oh man, they, they really want to chase to get that title. Right. And 
and for them to go up to the second run to do stuff that they've never done before is definitely scary for sure. And, uh, you know, I saw that a couple times this weekend, but, um, nobody, nobody really got serious injured, which is great. But at the same time, it's like, man, like I, w- I would hate to have that conversation with Kyle and then he goes and does it and then, and then gets a, a bad injury from it. That would, that would be devastating. And for me, like, I don't know if you know, but I'm, 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 in, I'm, in, I'm in charge of all global athletes for this new shoe company, Ride Concepts. And Kyle Stray is, is one of my athletes. And, and when I was talking to him, I was like, hey, man, I, I'm not, I don't, I'm going to talk to you as a friend, not as a team manager, but don't, if you don't feel comfortable, don't do your second run. I'm happy with what you did, man. That was really awesome. You did exactly what you wanted to do. Maybe it didn't get you the top five that you were hoping, but man, you're walking away. You're safe. Like, you're good to go. Don't, don't stress out. And, uh, Obviously, he didn't listen to me. He went back up for a second run and tried to up his score. Fortunately, it didn't, it didn't work out. But at the same time, I'm so glad that he uh, walked away from all from from, from it. So, I got to ask. I mean, you're talking to Kyle. You're talking to Cam. These guys got to be talking and you to you and thinking like. I mean, if anybody needed to be reminded of the consequences of this event. Were there any interesting conversations about that? You with the riders or you seeing it in their faces or their eyes? It's kind of weird. You would think like Cam would like look at it in a different perspective because, you know, Cam's one of my best friends. He's seen the film. He's seen, he sees me every day. But Cam actually looks at it in a different way. He's like, I'm going to live my life to the fullest now because cause this could literally, this injury can literally happen to any one of us. And, and for Cam, like, like, no, it definitely didn't make him hit the brakes whatsoever. Like, if anything, it made him go even more crazier because he's like, you know, this injury can happen to any one of us, and and I'm, I have a, a an able body, and I wanna I wanna live the best until until that until until it's gone. 2015 rampage, you drop in. It's a heavy line, but things are looking good. And then there's a bit of a wobble, and then what? Yeah, 2015, feeling confident, feeling like I was going to do really well. I got all the hard stuff out of the way. I remember dropping in, and the, the most stressed out thing I was about my whole run was backflipping that big canyon gap. And when when I did that, I was like, yes, this is so awesome. I'm going to. This is this is the year. This is the year that I'm finally gonna win. And I remember just like talking to myself like down the hill, like everything's going so smoothly, so perfectly fine. I did that big double drop, overshot a little bit, caught off, maybe maybe landed a little sideways, which kind of drifted me to my right side about two feet. I kind of monster trucked through some sage and then I tried to get her back on course. And when I did that, I clipped a branch with my pedal, which led me to flip over my handlebars onto my back. And uh, when I landed on my back, I was like, I, I remember knocking the wind out of me, and I just remember just like getting so pissed off because I crashed. And uh, I was like, okay, it's okay. I got, I got a second run, Paul. I can, I can go back up and do it again. And then when, when I tried to get up, I couldn't move anything from my waist down or fill. And that's. That was the first time that's ever happened to me. And uh, right then I kind of freaked out and I knew I was in big trouble. The film documents that really well. You know, having watched that crash, I was like, the first thing I thought was, I guarantee 
Paul has had like, quote unquote, way worse crashes than that. Absolutely. How many, right? I mean, like, let's even just go back to say 2004, right? So we're talking in 10 or 11 years, you're throwing double backs, you're throwing 720s, you know, you're at the pinnacle, you're at the cutting edge at the forefront of what's happening in free riding. There's some crashes that come along with like progressing things in that way. Yeah, I think you said it the best. Like I've definitely had way harder crashes than the crash that caused me to be paralyzed. I mean, if you watch all the footage from 2004 to 2015, if you look at some of those highlight moments, like the first time I did the double backflip, like I under-rotated and that took all the impact on my head, but I was totally fine. Like I was able to to, to re- rebuild the bike and and go back up the next uh, day and do the double flip, you know, like I've, I've, I've taken so many hard slams in my career. And when, when that crash came upon and at rampage in 2015, I thought it was just, it looked in, I thought it was just your, your other, just your, just your typical crash or rampage, you know, Oh, caught a branch flipped over the handlebars. He's going to get wipe wipe the dust off and he's going back up to a second ride. And, and I even thought that, and, and, um, uh, and then when, when I tried to move my legs, then I knew, I knew that was, uh, that was, that was not the situation. But that's what's so scary about this injury is that, you know, it can literally happen to anyone of any one of us. And, and, and in my situation, like I've taken so many more heart slams and, and it's just so crazy how life works, you know, like life's not guaranteed. And, and like, I don't know, it's weird that why, why did that one crash cause me to, to live my situation today. Like why didn't, why wasn't it when I did the double flip five years ago or, or why wasn't it when I crossed off the big uh, last drop at crank work trying to tell up it? Like there's so many hard slams I've taken over the years. And, and the, the one in 2015 at the rebel rampage, like that crash was, was nothing. Like I said, if I thought I'd knock the one out of me and I was literally ready to go and do my second run. But I don't know. I, I try. I try not to think about that. You know, I try not to think about the past. Like I try to move forward, try to close that chapter, and and continue living the best life I can possibly can. And and you know, the first two years, I do. I always always ask those questions. Like, why? Why did that happen? Why did it happen to me? Like, why did it happen during that crash? Like, but now it's like it happened four years ago. I'm like, okay, Paul, you got to move on, move forward, close that chapter, and appreciate the things you do have in life, opposed to the things you don't have have in life. And once you start thinking about that, you kind of start forgetting about the past and, and all the stuff that goes with, with, with that injury. One of the things I guess I want to ask, and I've been kind of asking myself, like since watching this, because I definitely believe that anybody who's out there, you know, skiing, mountain biking, climbing, right, boating, kayaking, skateboarding, I really think everybody needs to see this film just because this is kind of the other side. This is the this is the stuff that none of us really wants to think about. And yet I'm not sure that I yet have the answer or the punchline or something like if we have 250,000 athletes in all these different sports that I just named watching this film if you have come to say that Here's the thing that I think all of these folks should keep in mind. Those who maybe haven't yet had an injury like this. Do you, have you come to any conclusions or takeaways yet? I mean, I don't really think about it too often as far as like 
okay, like, I mean, yes, yeah, like when you think you're like when people think you're a professional athlete, like they think, they think it's a glorious life. But when when you sustain a major injury, like a spinal cord injury, then like then usually people just think, oh, well, he's done riding and that that is it. But it's it's a lot more than that, right? Like I think it's important to 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 show those sides of things, but at the same time, it's not necessary just for action sports people, right? It's, it's for everybody. I think everybody should be educated to to what actually goes into a spinal cord injury because it's it's torture. And uh, you know, I I have some guilt to blame because I've had friends that sustained spinal cord injuries and I never knew what they had to deal with on a day to day basis. Back to this most recent rampage for a minute here. Are you scared watching? your friends and colleagues dropping in? Um, it's a good question. Yes and no. Like, like I know majority of the time, like if, if, if they're dropping in or they feel confident about their runs and they, they, they wouldn't be doing it if they didn't. Right. But I do get a little nervous if when I see any of my buddies crash, knowing the fact that maybe if it wasn't even a hard crash, knowing the fact like what happened to me, it can happen to any, anyone, any one of my buddies. So, Every time I see like like for example like Cam crashed on uh, on the first drop and he kind of like slid down his back I'm like oh man like he's good and then he, he he gets up and he's good but like before that before my accident I'd be like oh he's totally fine he's gonna go and do his second run you know but like now like every time I see a crash I kind of pause wait and then when they get up then it's a huge relief but before that I would always think that everybody would get up and do their second runs. One of my questions in watching this film, as we've said, this isn't just your story. There are all of these people who were injured in all of these different ways. And the more that I kind of think about this, the more sense I think that makes, because I do think it maybe would have been easy for people to maybe dismiss your story. Like, Okay, cool. So what I learned is maybe I shouldn't try to compete in the gnarliest big mountain biking event of all time. And then I'm good. Right. And like, given the different interviews in this film, like you keep saying, like this can happen to any of us under the most everyday ordinary experiences. And, um, I do think that is something that is a real achievement. Like Mixing that in and in a way showing us just how, in a way, common these injuries are. I think the film said there's about 250,000 spinal cord injuries a year. And I think you said that might maybe even be closer to 300,000. I think it's, yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's average 250. I think last year was 300. It's like, but average annually, as far as people sustaining new spinal cord injuries, yeah, it's just 250,000 plus, And it's, it's quite scary because, uh, you know, I think we're still far, far away to finding that cure and to, to help with paralysis. And, uh, it's, it's a scary thing. Cause, uh, as you mentioned, um, about the film, there's a lot of people in this film talking about their situation and, when you hear their stories on how they sustain a spinal cord injury, you're like, what in the heck? Like, I didn't even think that would be possible. So the film then does a, well, it presents a very raw and I would say seemingly brutally honest look at the aftermath of your accident and you're dealing with it and 
your efforts to improve and go through rehab and to do research into things like stem cell and just looking at the options and the alternatives. And, um, you know, as you, I think you said at the top of this conversation, you know, in a way you're maybe if you're a bit nervous for this premiere tonight is it's a raw film. It's an emotional film and an emotional take. And I think, I, I mean, honestly, kudos to you for being like brave enough to do that and to show that, but that's the stuff that's going to, I mean, that's the important stuff of this film, right? There's nothing glorified here. I think we all owe you a good bit of thanks for being willing to, to film, to show that stuff, to show some of the down days, right? And show this whole process. I was really interested how much you do talk about just your own exploration of what was going on in the world of stem cell. And I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that more now. I mean, I don't know if you are still really actively investigating that, but from say when you shut down footage in the film to where we are today, in the film, you end with like, yeah, man, I don't know, but I'm not exactly in the mood to hold out. I don't see stem cell research and work as maybe being this holy grail that's right around the corner. Where are we today with this? I think we are still long, long away to, to find an eye care for paralysis. Um, I'm in touch with Wings for Life and actually all the proceeds from this film went to Wings for Life and it's a foundation and their main goal is to find a cure for spinal cord injuries. So um, I'm always in touch with the people over there kind of seeing what, what the next clinical trials are and, um, and see what the future holds for paralysis. But I don't see a cure happening anytime soon, unfortunately. And, uh, but I think there will be, I just, it's just a matter of time. And uh, it all comes down to funding. You know, it's all about, raising enough funds, uh, funding these clinical trials. And, um, it's, it's, it's an expensive thing to do. And, um, hopefully, hopefully this film impacts a young kid that's graduating from college. He sees this film and maybe his mission in life is to find a cure for paralysis. And if we can get that and get the conversation going and get people more aware of spinal cord injuries, then that'd be huge. Can you tell us a little bit more about wings for life? Yeah. So, I've been actually aware of Wings for Life for many years now. Um, I've had a lot of friends that sustain spinal cord injuries, and uh, they they always represented Wings for Life. And Wings for Life would always do this uh, event called the World Run, and I would actually uh, go and check it out and just always see the footage from it. And uh, I didn't get really connected with Wings for Life until this whole uh, injury happened. And if, you, if you're not familiar with uh, what Wings for Life is, it's it's a foundation and their whole goal in life is to find a cure for spinal cord injuries. And they funded over a hundred and I think 50 clinical trials or even more. They've, uh, they've done a really great job and, and hopefully they can continue to do so and hopefully find a cure one day. This film, man, I mean, after the accident, like just straight up, it's dark, you know? And again, we talked about your dark and down mood as you're trying to wrap your head around a very, very different life situation for yourself. And honestly, I mean, I think I am going to go ahead and say like, there is real progress that you make in this film, but we don't get to that. We don't, we don't quickly move away from here's the accident, but look how well I'm doing, you know, five minutes later, you, you keep us in it. And I think there's real merit in that, but 
you were literally at the forefront of, we always talk about, right? Like progressing these sports and it's maybe the most overused term that we all kind of use, like progressing the sport of skiing, progressing the sport of big mountain biking. You were right there and part of that. And part of me wondered then, all right, you're handed this life situation where now it's about progressing from literally no use of your legs to trying to gain back some, you know, get a, get a quad firing, being able to take a couple steps with a couple canes. And I guess I wondered, like, as somebody who was used to pushing himself every single day to do something that was impossible the day before, right? As an athlete, right? On the bike. Well, you kind of had to do that all over again. It, it was now coming out of a wheelchair, right? And I guess I just wondered, like, we see your struggles in this film with this, but in a way I was like, man, if anybody's going to now make progression in this very different new life situation, I would argue you would have been pretty primed for that. Well, that's kind of hard to say. I mean, I mean, I definitely put all my energy into this recovery as I would to try to win the rebel rampage. And that was my goal. It was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to bring the same work ethic I did with biking to this recovery. And the good thing that happened with me is when, when I did sustain a spinal cord injury, I didn't have a complete injury. So what, what that means is I had still um, signals going down in my lower extremity. So thank God my spinal cord didn't get cut completely in half or else you pretty much have a zero chance to recover. So for me, I had a little bit of hope to recover and that's all I needed. I just needed a little bit of hope to recover. And I just, just remember telling myself, I'm just going to put the same energy into this recovery as I do with, with biking. How are you doing today? Today, I'm, uh, you know, since since we stopped filming the documentary, I have definitely made some gains, which I'm happy to say, because uh, when you watch the film, you know that a lot of the doctors are saying the, the most you get is in the first two years after a spinal cord injury. And now here I am four years later, and I'm walking with a cane full time, and I'm able to ride a, uh, a mountain bike pretty, pretty good, pretty funny. I'm actually better at riding a bike than I am with walking. Well, you've always looked real comfortable on a bike, so um, maybe in some ways that that doesn't surprise me. Are, I mean, are we talking like you're riding trails? So I have an e-bike, and uh, that that the technology of e-bikes are so amazing. I mean, couldn't ask for a better time for that technology to be around. So I do have an e-bike, and uh, with that technology being around, I'm able to go and ride about 80% of the trails up in Reno and Tahoe and I'm able to go ride with Zinc. I'm able to go ride with all my friends and they don't have to wait up for me. You know, I can keep up with them and uh, it's pretty amazing. You know, don't get me wrong. Like I don't, I, I don't go and do these big jumps. I don't try to do these flips. Like it's mainly, it's just me going out, having a good time with friends and just enjoying the freedom to do so. Right. When everything gets taken away from you, like you start appreciating the little things in life. And for me to go on a little, just cross country ride with some friends is, is, is a huge blessing. Well, hey, man, I really appreciate the conversation and I, I want to let you get going. I really hope the premiere goes well. I, I'm sure it will, but I think that's a big deal. And I'm glad you're going to get to share this film kind of with the world and kick it off tonight. Do me one favor. If you happen to, you know, if you're talking to Aaron Baker and if you're talking to Mike Mack, those are just two of a number of people in the film. But man, those guys really resonated a lot, too. And uh, 
tell them uh, there's some people out there who really appreciate them sharing their stories as well, and, and we're rooting for them too. And um, but yeah, you had a lot of ro- lot of great folks in this film, and um, it's a really big deal that you guys are all willing to share your stories, and um, we're really grateful for that. And I, I'm looking forward to more people seeing this film. Thank you, man. I'll definitely pass the message along. I'm actually looking forward to seeing them. So thank you, man. Yeah. Well, hey, take care. Hope to talk to you again down the line. Awesome. You too, buddy. Have a good one. You too. I see ya. That's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. Thanks to Paul for the conversation. And I encourage all of you to check out any one of us on HBO. I'd also like to thank Justin Bob for producing this episode, and thanks to you for listening. And if you enjoyed this conversation, we'd encourage you to subscribe to the Bikes and Big Ideas podcast for free and to share this episode with your friends. Until next time, please take good care out there, and we will talk to you again next week.